Good morning, ASDAG. And I'm so glad you're joining me again online. We have been meeting like this for about four months. And it has changed how we have experienced church and even our whole concept of community and ministry. So despite the fact that we're in phase two, the church is not able to meet physically together, although now we can have more people being involved in the worship service. So it challenges us to look at ourselves as Christians that doesn't physically attend church. What does that mean for us to be a part of this community? But before we go there, there are some of you who still need something physical, and that is the physical copy of the Sabbath school lesson. I know some of you have been asking for it, and um, it's been a, it took a while because I think the customs were not clearing it, and transportation was not as smooth. But it has arrived. It has arrived. So if you need and you have ordered, that is, if you have ordered for the physical copy of the Sabbath School lesson and it has arrived, please contact David Hui. David Hui. I've sent the number through the email broadcast and a WhatsApp broadcast. So if you have ordered before, you've always ordered one and you want one, because some of you may think that you don't need the hard copy anymore. So please message David Hui and he'll get your address and he'll arrange a time where he'll personally deliver those Sabbath school lessons to you, those persons. So if you need that, let him know and he'll get it to you as soon as you're available and he's available. It is a little challenging for all of us, but we will get through this together. We are again on the Beatitudes. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount and the topic for today is Blessed Part 2. Blessed Part 2. We're going to have Blessed Part 3, 4, and 5 because as we work through the Beatitude, we're going to look at how it's how does Jesus describe his people being in a blessed state? And as I explained last week, being blessed in this specific context is not somebody externally giving you something. It is more an internal state of existence, which the closest word we have today in English is happiness plus satisfaction. So how do we as Christians live happily and satisfied, especially in the midst of a pandemic, when there is an economy downturn, we're going to a technical recession, and some of you are suffering not only bodily, mentally, emotionally, physically, but also financially. So how do we live blessed in His kingdom? You will notice that the scripture reading for today is the same as last week. In fact, this is going to be the scripture reading for the entire series because it explains why are we studying this topic. Why are we listening to Jesus again? listening to his Sermon on the Mount once again in the midst of all this. The verse tells us that our conduct, the way we behave as Christians, is very important, especially in a time like this. When people are going to look at the church, the way we, we perform, whether it's good or bad, will determine whether our faith is real or not. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about acting in a certain way in order to gain salvation. I'm talking about acting in a certain way so you're making an accurate portrayal of whom you serve. Because it says in the verse that in 1 Peter 2.12 that they will speak against you and there is a fact that is undeniable. Especially now you look around the world and the church has not been doing very well, especially in this pandemic. Um, many clusters have formed in various churches and that's one of the key reasons ASDAQ has chosen not to reopen physically just yet, and, and they have expressed certain opinions or acted in certain ways in regards to the current affairs that is not very wise. 
And because of that, the non-believers are looking at those believers and the comments that they are making and says, how can you be serving a loving, gracious, merciful God if that's what you're saying? So our conduct is important. This morning in our Sabbath school class with the teens, we were just talking about the very fact that they will look at us and they have an expectation on Christians. You know, you like it or not, they, when they hear the word Christian, they have a perceived stereotype in their mind, whether it is a big one or a small one of how you should act as one. Uh, the, one of the comments made by the students were that, you know, Christians, whenever they hear the fact that you're a Christian in the school context, you're supposed to be the goody two-shoe. I definitely did not fulfill that stereotype. Not that I'm proud of it, but man, I was bringing shame, I believe, to my church in the way I acted. Of course, at that, that time, the key thing was my relationship was G- with Jesus was not established. And so that's why we're discussing about Jesus' explanation of how His children, His followers, should act in His kingdom. You know, the verse we're going to touch on, I'm going to go slow, slow down as we go through the Beatitude, is on this verse. In Matthew 5, verse 7, if you turn with your scripture to me, to Matthew 5, verse 7. In Matthew 5, verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I shared with you last week that the first part of the, the, the Beatitudes was on social, community acts. How we should treat other people that may not have a lot of relationship with us, that we may not know very well, but those are the poor, the widow, the needy. And we go and we serve simply because that's God's mandate. But the second half of the Beatitude deals specifically with people we have a relationship with. And this relationship doesn't mean it's a good relationship. It could also mean a bad relationship. But in one way or another, it describes how followers of God's kingdom or believers of Jesus should act with those that they have a relationship with. And so it states in this very first blessed, number one, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, I personally, I am not a runner. I am not a jogging person. Kelly is. Uh, I am not. And one of the things that I hate about running is it's is really long. It takes a lot of time. It's, a, it's like a constant uh, movement of death. <laughs> it's like that. You don't know when it ends. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. I remember in secondary school, you know, we have to run a 2.4. That's not very long. I, it was a torture. It was a torture because I'd be like, why are we repeating the same movement again and again and again? But one thing I do like to watch is I don't like to participate, I have to watch it. You know, and one of the things that, that is really interesting in marathon is that these people who hose out this water along the, 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 the path, around the journey, and as the runners run by, I like to see what they do with the water. You know, some of them will take the water and they just pour, psh, they pour on themselves. And I'll be like, what? Isn't that for drinking? You know, and some of them will, will drink, but they will not swallow. They'll gargle and they'll spit it out. To spit it out. And then there are people who actually drink. And I noticed that the water, sometimes the, by the time you see in the photo that I'm sharing you, by the time they grab it, like three quarters of the water is gone, right? But the little bit that's left is still very important. Um, the water, the giving of water to those who are thirsty is, is such an essential part of the whole run. You know, it helps them run through it. And I have friends who participate in marathons and they say how they complete the marathon is they count the water station. How many water stations I'm going to hit? And then they're like, this is the last one. I'm going to finish. You kind of give them like a little pump and then they'll finish it. Um, and so it's essential the people along the way who pass out the water. It's interesting because those people don't really have to. 
I don't know you say, oh, they're, they're part of the organizing team, but there are some people who are just there to, to volunteer and to, to just cheer the people on, cheer the people on. And that's okay, because the water's not yours, and it's provided by somebody else, and you're sharing the water to somebody because you're not running. You're not, like, in need of any water yourself. But what if, what if I'm asking you to share your water bottle? I'm saying, hey, those runners are... Uh, tired and thirsty. And imagine if you are a runner who's participating in the same marathon, and you were a little newbie, you didn't know there was water provided, you brought your own water bottle, and somehow, somehow it happened that day that none of the water station was working, and you were the only one with water. And then the, the next runner comes up to you and says, hey, bro, can you share your water bottle with me? Would you share it? Like for me, it's like, man, dude, it's COVID-19 now, you know? We don't share water bottle. That's not how we work. We don't pass viruses around. Even before the pandemic, you know, I'm not very comfortable with people drinking from my water bottle. You know, like there's a few people who, who, who I'm, I allow, I allow. Like those are my buddies, my bros. Um, my drink will be on the, on the table and they'll just grab it and they'll drink and I'll dra- grab this and drink. But that's a very selected, unique group of people that allow, that's allowed to do that. I think even, even my brother and I, we don't do that to each other. I don't know why. Um, but this is a very special group. But imagine a total stranger comes up to you or your uh, acquaintance or your neighbor says, hey, can I have some water from your water bottle? You'd be like, can I pour you a glass of water? He said, no, 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 I want to drink from your water bottle. You know, it's a little like, dude, you're weird. Like, why are you doing this? But what if the scenario changes? What if the scenario changes in this context that you both are stuck in the wilderness? That you're in the desert. You're in the desert. There's no water supply. You are the only one in the group with a water bottle. Would you share it? Would you share it? Would you give it to this person? I suspect it's a higher, there's a higher chance. Because you're like, this is survival. It's not just like you being weird. It's, it's like all of us will share resources. Or you may not. You may think, dude, this is all that I have. If I share it with you, we're all going to die. So it's just like, uh, I'm going to live, right, dude. I'm not going to share my water. Or you're going to like, no, 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 no. If you share, we'll make it through together. Something to think about. But what if I add another layer to this situation? What if your water bottle was given to you by a comrade who was dying, and he can't go on anymore. He died. And he says, take my water bottle. Keep going, man. And you have that water bottle that actually doesn't belong to you in the first place. You didn't have any water to begin with. A, a, a teammate who, who, who died along the journey gave it to you, and, and now your other teammate says, can I have a sip of that water? Would you share it? I think understanding our context and where we are and what we are asked to give is very important. If we think that what we have is ours and the situation is not dire, it is highly likely that we will not share or give But if you understand where you are at, if you understand the context of what you have received and what situation you're you're in, it may change your mind. See, what God asks us to do, what Jesus is asking the people to do, is extraordinary. It's different. But do you know it is not new? To the people who sing at the summit on the the, the mountain, listening to to Jesus, those thousands of people listening to Jesus, it is not new because you know what? What Jesus is expecting from them is actually written into their law. 
It is something that as a people, once they were delivered from Egypt, once they were established as a nation, or even while they were in the wilderness, God has established these rules to say, that's how you should act. But over the years, over the years, the Israelites have forgotten what they were expected to do. Because they are in a different context. They weren't going through the wilderness. They weren't slaves who were set free. They, they are people who are like a third generation, fourth generation, who has forgot, forgotten what their forefathers went through and how it was difficult for them. And now they're in this place, although it's still a difficult situation, but life seems a bit more stable. And they f- have forgotten the meaning behind this law. See, God gave them the law because they didn't understand how to act so that they will learn the habits before understanding the reasoning. But now Jesus has to take a different approach where he has to reteach them the reasoning so that they'll start performing the act. I think we're living in a time where it's very similar to those listeners. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not new. If you've grown up in church, you have heard those words thrown around. Mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, peace. You've sung, you've sung about it in songs, and you've sang about it in songs, and you've, 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 you've read about it in the scripture, you've studied about it in your lesson study. But have you done it? Is it a state of normalcy? That is, is it a, your natural way of reacting, or is it a unique special circumstance? You know, for Jesus, all citizens of the kingdom of God are expected to act in those ways as a norm. To not be merciful to Jesus was an exception, not the norm. For in our society today, to be merciful is exceptional. It's extraordinary. In fact, I would call it it's supernatural. In our current society, everybody's taught to watch out for themselves. Everybody's taught to take care of themselves first. You know, it's like the plane, right? You go on the plane, there's always this announcement. I know it's been a while. Any one of us have been on the plane, but it's always like, when the oxygen mask drops down, what does it say? Take care of yourself first before take care of somebody else, or you'll be knocked out, right? But then the key thing is, we've gone to the place where the oxygen mask falls, we take care of ourselves, and that's it. We stop. We don't look around and see if anybody else needs our help. If there could be a kid, right beside us who doesn't even, can't even reach that mask, that naturally we should take the mask and say, here you go, dude. But now we're so scared, so afraid, and the pandemic has increased that anxiety in all of us that I'm just watching out for myself, I'm just taking care of myself. That we've forgotten that God has asked us, asked His people to be an extraordinary group of people. And that's why I say it's supernatural, because this inclination, this desire, have to be recreated in his followers. It's not something that we'll do naturally. We may do it sometimes, but to do it all the time as a reflex, it has to be a recreation by God of our heart. Because God is asking his people to be a signpost, to be a a lighthouse. Because in the midst of all this stress and panic around the world, God has already decided, and from, from long before, that was his decision, that there will be a group of people representing a kingdom that does not belong to this world. To show them there is, there is something different, that there is hope, and there is a place they're going to go home to. 
people like humans are, are visual people, are physical people. We need to see it. And people say, I can't see God. And it's true. But God has chosen His church to be the visible symbol of His kingdom. And we are called to act differently. Back to the original design. Act and interact in a way where it's so different. The world will say, wow, what is going on with these people? Why are they doing what they're doing? And then the question will come. And people will join and follow. And they realize because we believe in a God who represents these values. You know what my favorite item that I'm not allowed to have in the house because uh, I'm married? Um, I like vintage retro fans. Like if I am not married, like my house will be filled with like vintage phones, vintage fans. Uh, so bad. It's like my house will be retro uh, all around. And uh, the thing is they won't be usable. Right? They'll be just retro. Uh, one thing about fan, like I, uh, fan is like, essential to James. No fan, James will have died. Like, like, it's like fans are so important. Like, I remember my, my mom told me this story. I, I don't know whether it's true, but I, I believe it's true. Uh, when I was young, I was in kindergarten, right? I was like five years old. Uh, my kindergarten was across the road. It's not very far. It's across the road. It's across the road in Yishun. And uh, every morning, my grandma would bring me across the road to the kindergarten. You know, I'll spend half a day there, I think. Half a day, yeah. And I'll, I'll come back for lunch. And, and lunchtime, you know, it's really, really hot. And every time I'll, I'll, I'll come back, my grandma will bring me back. She'll go, to, she'll go to the kindergarten and bring me back. And my grandma will, she's she like, old people hates this, right? So I'll be sweaty and, and, and like soaked because I'll be playing outside. My shirt will be like translucent because it's soaking sweat. And the first thing I do when I get home is I will go sit right in front of the fan, like, like as big as my person, and I'll turn it to the max and just sit there and go whoosh for like 15 minutes. And my grandma freaks out, right? So this is, there's this myth among the old people. If you blow wind while you're sweating, you get tao hong, you know? You get this head wind, and then you like have headache. And that's how Qin Shi Huang died. You know, there's always this, this myth story. And so my grandma's like, ah, freak out. And, and, but I will not listen. Because I'm so hard, right? I have to sit there. I have to, I have to blow myself until I cool down. I think my house, only my, my parents' room had aircon back then. It was really expensive. And so I'll sit there for 15 minutes and until I dry up, like my shirt who is like translucent, will dry. And so you see, fan is very important. Till today, till today, fans are an essential element of my life. Like Tiffany, it's like she cannot understand how I can have the fan blowing at me at max speed. And she'd be like, you're going to die. And, and, but after a few years of being married, she's like, you are not human. Like if I'm blown like that for two years, I would have died. Then I, told, I looked at her, I says, wife, I've been blowing like that for like 35 years. This is me. It's part of my life. You know, and she accepted that. She allows me to do that. Even my house, I remember the first time when she walked in. In Singapore, we have those ceiling fans, those giant ones. Uh, Taiwan, they don't have that. And she walked in and she looked at the fan and like, why do we have the giant fan on the ceiling? Uh, but now she kind of understands. But you know what's the beauty of fan? The fans themselves honestly don't generate wind. The wind was there as air. They just suck the wind from one side and push it out from the other side. By themselves, all they do is a machine that accelerates air and push it out the other end. That's all they do. That's what fans are. But you know in Singapore, Singapore is the killer of nice things. If you have something that you don't use for a while, in Singapore, everything rusts and disappears. I think God designed it to be like that for Singapore. Because Singapore is very small. 
So we don't have the luxury of leaving things around and taking out space. So our humidity will destroy it. Have you ever had shoes that you haven't worn for a while? Try wearing it after a while you go out, you will lose your soul. You know, you, you just disintegrate. And it's happened to me more than once. Like things in Singapore just disintegrate. It doesn't just break down. It just... Like I remember I have a, I have a headphone in, uh, in this cover. I left it in the, the study for a while. I didn't touch it. I took it out. The layer on top peeled off. It became sticky. I had that handphone, uh, the headphone for 10 years in Australia. Perfect. Singapore is a destroyer of good things. But the, the thing is, if the fan is turned on every day, it does not rust. It can't. Because the air pushes through, the humidity doesn't stay on the blades. Of course, we're talking about vintage fans here. It pushes through, and it's, it's all right. But if you just leave it in Singapore for three days or a week, it rusts, starts to form. And I think that is a lesson that we can learn for our Christianity, especially in Singapore. God is asking us to pass on His mercy. Because He says that this mercy that we, we receive that we're asked to give is something we have first received. It's not something new. It's not something that we do not have. All citizens of the kingdom of God was allowed entry into this kingdom by the mercy of God. It's not because we've done something good. It's not because we are awesome. It's not because we're just good people. It's because we've been willing to receive this mercy. In Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Like the fan, by sharing the mercy that flows through you, you will be kept healthy. And that, that's why God describes His kingdom as a bunch of people who will give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Like the fan, if they don't push wind out, they won't receive new wind. If they don't receive new wind, the humidity on the blade will not be pushed away and they'll start to rust. This is especially important for our current situation. In this pandemic, there's many, many, many opportunities where we can show grace and mercy. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to look with me on this this quote from Simon Sinek, he says, when you compete against everyone else, no one wants to help you. But when you compete against yourself, everyone wants to help you. You know, one thing I've noticed from these past few months is that as we go out and help those who are in need, the other people who just came along to want to participate in that because they feel like this is a good cause. And we're not trying to... Not, I, as that was not trying to do good works, so that would be famous. You know, we're, there was no news interview. There was no, um, you know, putting our logo on the, on the on the things to show that it's done by us. It's just out of the goodness of our hearts and the faithfulness to God's com commitment that we're doing all these things. And I realized that more people came on board to help, and donations came in to support the cause. But God is asking His people to take one step more. During this time. There will be people that you know that needs mercy from you. What is mercy? 
Mercy is giving somebody something that they don't deserve. The story in the scripture that tells us about that, that rich man who forgives the debt of the steward, and the steward went out and he didn't forgive the debt of somebody who owed him money. Um, that is what we're talking about here. Is there somebody, well, this is challenging, guys. This is challenging. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. Is there somebody in your life who actually have done you wrong or owe you stuff? doesn't have to be material, but owe you something. Or have wronged you that you need to go and show mercy. And this verse ties in with the prayer. Forgive as you have been forgiven by the Father. Is there somebody out there that during these few months, because of your time at home, you've had time to reflect and think that needs mercy from you? And today, God is speaking to you and says, go and show mercy. It's easier to give to those who we don't know, you know, to, to, to bless those who are needy, who are physically maybe in need. But then to go and give to somebody who you know and have intentionally or unintentionally hurt you in one way or another, or there's a debt that's owed to you, and to go and say, you're all right, I'm going to give you mercy and forgive that, it's difficult. It's difficult. But as that, I'm saying, it's supernatural. It's not going to be something you can do naturally. It has to come from beyond yourself. God is going to grant you this mercy. And to start that journey, you have to first recall, reflect, how have you received mercy from God? I believe it's hard for us to give mercy because we've forgotten how we have received mercy. And maybe some of us have not really had the experience or realized that we actually are in this relationship with God by His mercy. Maybe today is the day you need to think about that. That you are given this unique, exalted, wonderful, blessed position as a follower of God, as a believer of Jesus, as a citizen of His kingdom, by His mercy. Which means somebody died for you so that you have water to drink. And now he's asking you, say, hey, would you share that water with somebody else? It wasn't yours to begin with. I gave up my life so that you can have it. What are you going to do about it? How have you received mercy? Then go forward and ask God to reveal to you who do you need to grant mercy? Who do you need to grant mercy? I believe God is asking all of us here, me included, to, re to think back to those people whom we have a relationship with that may no longer be in a cordial, pleasant, kind relationship. But we're asking ourselves, God, is there such a person? First, remind me of the mercy I've received from you, then help me to grant that mercy.